Good morning, church family. It's good to see you this morning. Glad we can be here together for worship. It has already been a good and busy weekend for a lot of us here. We are, as Don mentioned earlier, in the midst of our Love Where You Live weekend. It's a service weekend that we do uh, every year, uh, one of hopefully two that we'll try to be doing every year from uh, now on. And uh, we had about, I'd say somewhere between 100 and 1,000 uh, yesterday uh, doing some service projects around town. Uh, I know we had probably at least around 100 uh, that were doing about four different service projects around town yesterday. And then today, uh, we also have the conclusion of our supply drive for the uh, Cookville Pregnancy Center. Uh, So if you have any supplies for that, please make sure that you uh, turn those in today. But we want to uh, be the best neighbor in the neighborhood. We want to love where we live. We want to love our neighbors as ourselves. We want to love God above all things. We want to do all of these things. And our Love Where You Live weekend is not over yet. We've got a couple more things that are coming up that you have the opportunity to be a part of. Uh, Right after services this morning, we've got a fellowship meal, a potluck meal in the uh, gym across the way. So I hope that you'll take the time to be a part of that. And if you uh, are visiting with us especially, we want to make sure that we invite you. But everyone is invited uh, to come and to be a part of that and and to enjoy some fellowship and some food together. Uh, And then tonight, uh, we've kind of been waiting on the weather, trying to figure out what's going on and what's not going on. There's a chance that it might rain at some point today, maybe this afternoon. uh, But we're going to go ahead and plan on having our praise at the park this afternoon. Uh, So let me give you the details on that because even though it's been in the bulletin, I understand there's some uh, confusion about that, so I want to make sure that everybody understands what's going on. Uh, At 5.30 tonight at the amphitheater at Dogwood Park, we're going to have a devotional service, okay, for about 45 minutes, a good bit of singing and a devotional time and a little bit of time in prayer, Uh, so come and be a part of that. That will be our worship service for tonight. We will not meet here at 6 o'clock at the building, Uh, so if you want to worship tonight with us, we would love for you to be there. It's a wonderful opportunity for you to love where you live, love the people that are right here in Cookville and to invite them to come and be a part of this. So meet us there at 530 uh, at the amphitheater at Dogwood Park. We would love for you to be there. As a matter of fact, we'd love for you to be there early, about 4.30. Uh, we're going to have some uh, some time of yard games. So if you've got uh, cornhole boards or any of those types of things you want to bring and uh, play out, uh, put them out there in the grass uh, area of the amphitheater, uh, we'll be playing those from about 4.30 to 5.30. Uh, and then after our devotional, uh, we're going to try and have a kickball game uh, for anybody who wants to play. So I hope that uh, Doug Fowler's going to play, I think. So it's going to be good. I haven't asked Doug if he's going to, but I hope he does. Uh, I want to see that. Uh, so uh, we'll have a kickball game after our devotional, but uh, please, especially, uh, don't miss our devotional time at that amphitheater at Dogwood Park at 5.30 tonight. Bring a chair to sit in. Uh, we did not rent any chairs, and the grass might be wet. Uh, so make sure that you, you bring a chair to sit in. Uh, so lots of things going on, lots of good opportunities to be a part of Love Where You Live weekend to be a part of this uh, active church family here at Jefferson Avenue. Now, we all live in various places from day to day. We go to our jobs, we live in our homes, we go down the road, we uh, see different people. Maybe you see a lot of the same people every day, but one person that I know that you see every single day is yourself. And we need to love where we live. We need to love and figure out and work with and encourage ourselves and make ourselves better in some form or fashion. And what I want to encourage us with this morning as we think about our lesson is the difference is discipleship. If you want to be a better Christian, if you want to be a better follower of Christ, if you want to be someone who looks more like Jesus, like John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. If you want Jesus to increase in your life and the way that you look and the way that you talk and the the way that you treat other people, the things that you think about, then the difference is going to be discipleship. And I want us to look at and consider this morning, what does that look like? If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John chapter 6. 
John chapter 6, we'll be there shortly. John chapter 6, if you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 891 of the black books in, the pew, in front of the pew in front of you. Uh, so grab one of those. So in, uh, in Luke chapter 9, verses 12 through 16, and John chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, uh, Jesus is uh, teaching people and he's amazing people. He's been teaching them all day long. And that's, this is that, that common story that many people know when he feeds 5,000. Remember, uh, the disciples come to him and say, hey, Jesus, you know, it's kind of getting late. We need to send these people away so they can get some food. And he says, no, no, you feed them. And they have this confrontation or not really a confrontation, but this confusion, this, oh my, how in the world are we going to, how in the world are we going to feed 5,000 people? Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about. And they take what, what is brought to him. Jesus takes what's brought to him and he feeds 5,000 people. So he's been teaching them. And we we know that Jesus is, is a, a great teacher. He's a great speaker and people are impressed by what he says and how he says it and the love and the compassion and the, the power and the, uh, the, uh, the zeal that he speaks with. They're, they're impressed by that. So he's been an amazing teacher all day long. He just feeds 5,000 people. Now, maybe most of those 5,000 don't realize what he was working with. Maybe most of them don't realize that he only had a, a few fish and a, a few uh, loaves of bread. Maybe they don't get it, but they, they have been experiencing not only that, it says in Luke's account that he had been healing their sick. So he's been healing, he's been teaching, and he miraculously feeds 5,000 people out in the middle of basically nowhere, okay? So that's, that's where we're at in this story. Notice Jesus' response. Notice what Jesus knows. And this is interesting because, you know, the story of the feeding of the 5,000, it's covered at least in Matthew, also in Luke, and also in John here. But John carries this unique detail that the other ones don't carry, okay? Look at John uh, chapter 6 and verse 15. So Jesus, this is right after he uh, feeds the 5,000, knowing that they were going to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So Jesus knows, man, and, and, and this tells us a little bit, Jesus knows the hearts of men, so he knows that there are at least some in this cry, crowd of 5,000 plus that are coming, they're interested, hey, we want you to be our king. We want to set you up. We want you to, uh, to rule over us. We want you to, to lead the rebellion against Rome. We want you to be in charge. And, and Jesus knows that's not his purpose, and it's not his time to reveal what his real purpose is. So he knows that, and he, he withdraws. He doesn't want to, to be a part of that yet. But, but clearly, you would think, if, if this crowd of people is that impressed by Jesus, they want him to be king, they are extremely impressed by the things that he has been doing. So after John chapter 6 and verse 15, uh, Jesus uh, walks on the water. He crosses over to Galilee. Again, uh, Luke's account, for, for some reason, we would think one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Jesus walking on water, but Luke's account doesn't, doesn't cover that. Uh, he doesn't cover that, but, but John's account does. And he walks across the water. And let's start, let's pick it up in, in John chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. So this is after he's fed 5,000 people. They want to make him king. He withdraws. This is even after he's already walked across the sea uh, to the other side, getting on the, the boat with the disciples there in the middle. It says on verse 22 of John chapter 6, On the next day, the crowd, which stood on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no other small boats there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other small boats came to Tiberias near the, to the place where they had ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you come here? So they wake up the next day, this group of people who have been following Jesus for a long time and have been fed miraculously. They wake up the next day and they say, hey, where's Jesus? 
Well, he's not here anymore, and uh, well, there's only one boat here, and his disciples already went away, and he's, he's not here anymore. So they, 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 they put two and two together, and they say, well, somehow Jesus got to the other side of the sea. So they get the other boats that, that come to the place where they're at. They hop in the boats, and I don't know if it's all 5,000 of them. That's a lot of little boats, but uh, the, some of them, at least, they, they go over, and they, they're seeking Jesus. They're trying to find Jesus, and when they see him, they say, Jesus, when'd you get over here? And they don't know that he's walked on water miraculously and hopped in the boat with the, the, his disciples and, and finished the, the journey. And they're, they're, they're wanting to, to be with him. In verse 26, notice Jesus does this amazing thing and then he raises the stakes after they followed him. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate, and the loaves, you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endure, endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him the Father, God, set his seal. So Jesus says, hey, He's, he's really raising the stakes here. You know, there have been various groups of people, large groups of people that have been following Jesus. Even some of them would have, been, would have claimed to have been his disciples, following his teaching. But Jesus says, hey, you're not really following me because of the, the miracles, the signs that I've done. You're not really following me because of my teaching, even though we know Jesus' teaching is, is amazing. It's so amazing they want to place him up. They want him to be the king of, of their people. But he says, you're not really following me because of any of those things. You're following me because you got a free meal. And he's beginning here to, to call them to something greater, to call them to something that's, that's greater than that, a, a higher standard. In the next few verses, he's going to, to reference the, the manna during the time of the wilderness wandering, which would have been a, a really big deal for, for Jews during this time. You know, remember, if you go back in, in Old Testament history, when the people are wondering, the Israelites are wandering around the desert, that, that God provides manna, some sort of bread for them each day. And he says, I am the bread of life. And they really get a little bit bothered by that. Let's read a few verses here in in John chapter 6. Let's look at verse 41. Therefore the Jews were grumbling. Okay, these are the same people who just wanted him to be king and who followed him across the sea. They're grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Look at verse 60. Uh, Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? He's beginning to, to teach them some, some difficult things, telling them that they've, they've really got to, to buy in and dig in and be a part of what he wants them to be. And then notice verses 66 through 69. As a result of this, as a result of this new teaching, this higher standard, him, him raising the stakes, as a result of this, many of, his, many of the people went away. Is that what your version says? Many of his people went away? Now, that would have been interesting enough if that's what it said, of these 5,000-plus people. Remember, usually during the New Testament times, the, the number 5,000 would have just been the men, and there would have been women and children. So we're talking maybe you know 10,000 people plus, okay? If most of those men are married, and if most of those married couples have children, we're talking 15,000. This, this is a large group of people who've been following Jesus. And it, but it doesn't say many of the people left him. It says many of his disciples left him. Now, there's a difference between, you know, just the crowds of people who've been following him around wanting to see a good show or something like that versus those who, who have committed themselves and say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Christ. And he says now that many of his disciples are leaving him. As a result of this, again, verse 66, many of his disciples went away and were not walking with him anymore. Maybe they never came back. So Jesus said to the 12, here's the 12 apostles, his closest followers, do you also want to go? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What's going on here? 
What's going on in this situation? What, is, what has Jesus been calling, calling his disciples to? What are the apostles really committed to? Now, the, you know, the apostles, they, they spend their time confused by what Jesus teaches. They do not always get it. They're, they're just as lost and confused by what he teaches as just about anybody else is a lot of the time. But, G, but Peter says, listen, Jesus, we can't go to anybody else. You've got the words of eternal life. We believe and we have not only do we believe, but we've come to know because of the things that we've seen, the things that you've done, the way that you treat other people, the way that you straighten out people who are in error. We know that you are the son of God. We're not going anywhere else. Jesus is calling those people to something more. Now, in the midst of this, remember we talked about in Luke chapter 9, verses 12 through 17, we also have the, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And, and in Luke's gospel, one thing that's different about Luke's gospel, if you, if you read the very beginning of Luke's gospel, he says, I wanted to write to you a way, uh, uh, I wanted to write to you the story of, of Jesus in, in a very chronological way. He's saying, I want to I wanna write, these things happen in, in this kind of order. He kind of seems from almost a, a historian perspective. And if you go over to Luke chapter chapter 9, that's on page 878 in the Pew Bibles, Luke chapter 9, somewhere in the midst of this, we read these words, somewhere in the midst of Jesus feeding 5,000, somewhere in the midst of Jesus walking on the water, walking across the sea, the, the people following him and, the, and them saying, hey, Jesus, how'd you get over here? And him saying, hey, you're not following me because of these signs or my teaching. You just want another meal is what he says to them. And he, then he calls them to something more and then they, they leave him somewhere in the midst of this story. We read in Luke chapter 9, starting uh, in verse number, check my notes, 18. And it happened while he was praying alone. The disciples were with him and he questioned them saying, who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist and others say Elijah, but others, they, one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. But he warned them and directed them not to tell anyone this, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. And then listen to verse 23. And he was saying to them all, okay, so the disciples have been there. He's asked them a question. They've asked him a question. There's been some back and forth. Somewhere in the midst of this, is this when, you know, the 5,000 people are eating and it's just some of the disciples have come to him? Is this, you know, before he walks on water, after he... But at some point in the midst of everything we read in John... Jesus says these words, verse 23. And Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? Again, Jesus is calling those who would listen 2,000 years ago. And Jesus is calling those who will listen today to something more. And the difference is discipleship. Jesus knew what uh, a man named James Clear in his book, Atomic Habits, he explains it in, in this book. And I want to share this with you because I was studying, I was reading it this, this past week, and, and it really spoke to me a little bit, and you'll see why here in a minute, but I think it, he, he, Jesus already knew this, and, and this is nothing new with, with James Clear teaching this or understanding this and explaining it in, in his book, Atomic Habits, uh, but it's interesting, and it's of note in our, our Christianity, in our relationship with God, and in our daily devotion to God. He, he spoke about a study uh, in this book that was uh, done in 2001, and the study was pretty simple. Uh, all they were trying to do was they were trying to encourage people uh, to exercise more. 
okay? Encourage people to exercise more. That's something that probably if you're over the age of 25, you've thought about at some point in your life. I need to exercise more, right? I need to do more. I need to be in, in better shape. I need to be in better health. We've all, all been there. And so this study was trying to figure out, okay, well, what, what really gets people to do that, okay? Again, most of us in here have thought about that and said, man, it'd be really good if I exercised more, okay? So they had about 250 people and they had three groups. The first was the control group, okay? The control group, you don't do anything different. You just ask them, okay, hey, if you just track how many times you exercise a week, okay? That was their job. Track how many times you exercise a week. The second group, they received um, uh, some motivational material. I think there were some, uh, some presentations where someone got up and said, hey, here's, here's the benefits of, of exercising. Here's the good things that happen. They also got some material to take with them to read that, that talked about the dangers of not exercising and how it affects your health. And, and they got some, some motivational, informational uh, stuff to take with them and to, to understand. Okay? And all they were supposed to do was, okay, now that you've got that information, Take it and track how often you exercise every week. The third group was to do the very same thing. They were to track how often they exercised every week. They got the same uh, motivational material, if you will. But there was one thing that was different. They had to make a plan. They had to say, I will exercise at this time in this location. I will do this thing in this, at this time in this place. And here's the results of this study. The first two groups, there was no difference. About 38% of the people in the groups exercise at least once a week. Let me, let me just tell you something about the importance of that, okay? That means that motivation or motivational speeches made very little difference. You hear me? That means that, that someone really trying to pump them up and encourage them and give them some really useful facts and information really didn't make a difference at all, Okay? The third group, the one that was supposed to make the plan, I will exercise at this time in this place, 91% of them exercised at least once a week. 38% between the first two groups, the only difference was uh, the motivational, and, and, and there was no difference between them, 38%. And the third group that had to make a plan, 91% of them. Here, here's what I want you to think about, okay? Here, here's the, the practical application that you need to, to understand not just for exercise necessarily, though apply that if needed, but certainly for your life as a Christian and your Christian exercise or exercising your Christianity in your daily life. The difference was, or the reality is, that daily discipline, daily discipline in your life is of greater practical value than any great sermon or great worship or great experience that we may have spiritually. I'm so glad, Ryan, when you prayed earlier about us being together and, and the opportunity we have to, to fellowship together and worship. And I love singing with you guys. I even love all the babies crying. I, I love all of it. I love us being together. I love it. And, and COVID taught us how valuable this time is, didn't it? For us to, to be together and to worship God. Not only are we commanded to do it, but it is beneficial to us. It is beneficial to us. There's no doubt about it. But daily discipline is of greater practical value than any Great sermon, and most of the time you just get mediocre ones, so certainly better than that, and even any great worship service. Being a daily disciple of Christ, making a plan, and being a disciple or a discipleship, is, it doesn't happen accidentally. It's not going to happen because, hey, again, most of us in here have said, just like we've said, I need to exercise more. Most of us have probably thought or said or prayed, God, help me to be more like Jesus, and we've prayed that prayer and we've had that desire. 
But at some point, we've got to put some sort of thought and effort and plan into place in order to make that happen. And yes, that's more difficult. And yes, that's why we don't do it. But remember, things that are worth doing are rarely easy. Things that are worth doing are rarely easy. We've got to take the time and put forth the effort into being who God wants us to be. That's what Romans chapter 12 is talking about, right? Romans chapter 12, in verses 1 and 2, when he says, uh, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Present your bodies, present your life, a living and holy sacrifice. That's what Jesus is talking about in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. To deny yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow after him. It is good and it is great for us to be here together today. But here's the reality. And I'll say this as a preacher who's not a motivational speaker, but does hope to motivate people when he speaks. You listening to me or coming to a Bible class, it is beneficial. I would encourage you to do that. But if you will purposefully make a plan in your life, you will be far more successful at following Jesus. And the scriptures illustrate this in in James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, let's read verses 13 through 15. And we'll we'll look at this uh, analogy and and this this illustration, and then we'll be done. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one, that means you, each one of us is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully matured, it brings forth death. We think about this, this, this pyramid of, of, of sin and death and temptation. You can see it hopefully uh, uh, described for you up there on the board. And, and, and this is what James is talking about. I think I've shared this with you before, but I, I want to share it with you again because it's a very good visualization of purposefulness in our life, okay? In James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, it says, when we are carried away and enticed by our own lusts, Okay, I had to to change the words a little bit because they didn't fit fit very easily. But when we have a desire, and here specifically talking about a a negative desire, and we have the opportunity or a chance, that leads to temptation, okay? We have ungodly desires. You have, I have ungodly desires from time to time, perhaps frequently. When we have a chance or an opportunity to give in to that desire, that's when we're tempted, okay? Has any sin happened yet? No. No. No sin has happened yet. Now listen, eventually we like to change our desires and we like our desires to be godly desires, yes? Okay, but that's a process. It doesn't happen automatically just because you want it to happen. None of this happens just because you want it to happen. Some effort has to be put forth, okay? So you have this desire, you have the opportunity to do it, and then you're tempted. And then you get to that self-control, something that all of us can think about. Now listen, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, okay? The Bible tells us that. But when you get to this point in self-control, Here's the fact. If you get to the point where you have the desire that's ungodly, you have the chance to to take part in that activity, there is the temptation, you get to self-control. Here's the reality. It's a percentage game at that point. Some of the time you will succeed and tell yourself, no, I can't do that, that's sinful. And some of the time you will fail and you will tell yourself, yes, I know that's sinful, I'm going to do it anyway. Now, maybe it's 50-50, maybe it's 75-25, maybe it's 90-10, but it's a percentage game if you get to that point. And when you fail, that sin, and sin, when it's fully matured, brings forth death. There's the pyramid of death and self-control. Now, what happens if you take away one of those bottom pieces of the pyramid? 
the whole thing falls apart, right? The whole thing falls apart. So as we're thinking about daily discipleship, following Jesus purposefully with everything we have, again, ultimately, the best thing that you can do is to make your desires godly desires. To expel ungodly desires and to be full of the Spirit. Hey, read your Bible and pray every day. And those desires will grow in the right way. Read your Bible and pray every day and rely on God to help you change your mind and change your life. Absolutely, do that. But that's a process. It's sanctification. It's where you are and it's where you're going. You're not there yet, okay? So what can you do practically? Limit your chances. Limit your opportunities. If you know that when I'm with these people or I'm in this place or I do this when I'm tired or when I'm hungry or when I'm frustrated or when I'm angry, well, limit those opportunities. Do whatever you need to do to limit those opportunities because if you don't, you will be tempted. And when you're tempted, it's a percentage game at that point. Sometimes you'll succeed. Sometimes you'll fail. You've got a choice. Brothers and sisters, you never have to sin again. Anytime you sin, it will be because you choose to. The devil did not make you do it. Nor did anyone else. You will never sin again without choosing to do so. So why not limit the opportunities that you have to choose to do so? Would that not make you a better disciple of Christ? This this morning, I want you to, to really think about, in your life, what are you doing purposefully to follow Jesus? What are you doing on purpose because you're, you're meaning to, not just, not just by happenstance or, or any of those things, but what are you doing purposefully to make sure that you're following Jesus? In that, in that book that I mentioned earlier, Atomic Habits by James Clear, he said this also about self-control, which I, I thought was interesting, and I think it's right. It's, it's an interesting thought, though. He said there was another study that was done that said those people who had the best self-control ended up being those people who shaped their lives so that they had to use it less often. That means they, they didn't get to the point of self-control. They tore out one of those other things. They changed their desires. They limited their opportunities. Because if you limit your opportunities, then you never get to that situation where I've got to say yes or no right now. Sometimes I'll succeed, sometimes i fail. Now, I, I believe that it's more than that. I believe it's a fruit of the Spirit. I believe God is at work within us. But yes, I think it would be wise of us to shape our lives in such a way where we limit the number of times we are in a situation where we've just are relying on ourselves and our own self-control. What are you doing purposefully to make sure that you're following Jesus? In your bulletin, if you've got one, on the uh, sermon notes, there's a, uh, what, what I've called a, a dose of discipline. And it's something, again, that's from this book that I think would be a, a good practical application for you, and, and we're just about done. Uh, and it's that same formula, okay? I will behavior at time in location. I will behavior at time and location. So here's an example, okay? Do you struggle in your prayer life? Do you struggle just taking the time to pray? Well, if that's you and you want to get better at it, you will say, I will pray at wake-up time uh, in or beside my bed. You know, as soon as I wake up, I'm going to drop to my knees beside the bed and I'm going to pray. Or if you struggle reading Scripture, uh, here's a good one, okay? Here's a good one uh, for a lot of us anyway. I will read at least a chapter a day before I look at social media anywhere I am. Okay? If you've got that, 
if you've got that, that trigger of, hey, you know, I've got to get on Facebook, hey, I've got to get on Twitter, I've got to get on TikTok, I've got I to check out and see what's going on, and you, but you discipline yourself to say, hey, before I do any of that, I'm going to listen to or read a chapter of the Bible then you're going to have that motivation. Not only is it a good thing that you want to do, but you also want to get on Facebook. You want to get on social media. You want to do that stuff. So it's a, it's a trigger that leads you to better behavior. Listen, we are only saved by God's grace, but God's grace demands, God's grace demands that we strive to follow him every day. What are you doing practically to follow Jesus? This morning, if you're a Christian I challenge you, God, more importantly, Jesus says, deny yourself daily, pick up your cross and follow after him. Use this tool, I will, behavior, at place, or at time, in place, uh, to try and figure out encouraging yourself and and bettering yourself in that way. If you're not a Christian this morning, uh, Jesus uh, came to this earth and he decided, I will die at the proper time on the cross. And because he did that, you don't have to. Because he suffered that consequence, you don't have to suffer the consequences of your own sin. If you believe this morning that Jesus Christ is a resurrected son of God, if you'll name him as the Lord of your life and submit to baptism where you come in contact with his blood and all your sins are washed away, you can begin this journey. And it is a journey and you will not figure it all out and you'll never be perfect except for in the way that Jesus makes you perfect and acceptable to him. Uh, brothers and sisters, how about we follow Jesus? And if you're not a Christian, we'd love to help you follow Jesus. If we can do anything for you this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.